It's time for Shattered Soulstone. Featuring the latest news from Sanctuary and beyond. Each episode, a heroic party of Nephilim band together to help keep you informed on everything in the Diablo universe. And now, your Diablo Community Podcast. Coming to you from somewhere in Sanctuary, this is episode 385 of Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo Community Podcast. This episode is called Diablo 4 Soon. It is November 11, 2022, and this is Jen. So I've got a lot of stuff in this episode, including some talk about Diablo 4 and when it might release. But before we get there, all this other stuff happened too that you might want to know about. Video Games Chronicle has an article released November 8th titled, EU Launches In-Depth Probe of Microsoft's Proposed Activision Blizzard Acquisition. More detailed inquiry, inquiry opened amid competition concerns. And this is kind of an update because I think last time it was, we think the EU is going to do this, but now it appears they have actually done it. And so here's the article from Video Games Chronicle, written by Tom Ivan. The European Commission has officially launched an in-depth probe of Microsoft's proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard. As expected, following its initial inquiries into the $68.7 billion deal, the European watchdog said on Tuesday that it had opened a Phase 2 investigation due to competition concerns. Quote, the commission is concerned that the proposed acquisition may reduce competition in the markets for the distribution of console and personal computers, parentheses PCs, video games, and for PC operating systems, it said. The commission now has 90 working days until March 23, 2023 to make a final ruling on the deal. It said its preliminary investigation showed that the transaction could significantly reduce competition in several areas. Quote, in particular, the commission is concerned that by acquiring Activision Blizzard, Microsoft may foreclose access to Activision Blizzard's console and PC video games, especially to high-profile and highly successful games, so-called AAA games, such as Call of Duty, it wrote. It also wrote, the preliminary investigation suggests that Microsoft may have the ability as well as a potential economic incentive to engage in foreclosure strategies via Microsoft's rival distributors of console video games, such as preventing these companies from distributing Activision Blizzard console video games on consoles or degrading the terms and conditions for their use or access to these video games. When it comes to multi-game subscription services and or cloud game streaming services in particular, the commission is concerned that by acquiring Activision Blizzard, Microsoft may foreclose access to the detriment of its rival distributors of console and PC video games that offer such services to its own PC and console video games, which are key for the provision of the nascent services of multi-game subscription and cloud game streaming. Such foreclosure strategies could reduce competition in the markets for the distribution of console and 
and PC video games, leading to higher prices, lower quality, and less innovation for console game distributors, which may in turn be passed on to customers. Finally, at this stage of the investigation, the commission has concerns that the proposed acquisition may reduce competition on the market for PC operating systems. In particular, the commission is concerned that Microsoft may reduce the the ability of rival providers of PC operating systems to compete with Microsoft's operating system Windows by combining Activision Blizzard's games and Microsoft's distribution of games via cloud game streaming to Windows. This would discourage users to buy non-Windows PCs. The preliminary investigation suggests that Microsoft may have the ability, as well as a potential economic incentive, to engage with in such conduct via v rival providers of PC operating systems. So that's a thing, and this article notes that the deal has been approved by regulators in Saudi Arabia and Brazil. The UK's Competition and Market Authority recently expanded its investigation to a second phase. It is in the process of inviting members of the public to share their views on the acquisition, giving its final decision by March 1st. The U.S. Federal Trade Commission could reportedly make its ruling on the deal this month. So there we are. Kotaku has an article here titled Activision CEO Bobby Kotek donates $50,000 to Republican who protested 2020 election. And there is an update in a bracket in that title. Now, my initial thought on this is if Kotek has $50,000 to donate to someone, whether whatever party they may be, that means he had that money to, you know allow you know the people who are trying to unionize to get paid well but no he went this route instead because he obviously doesn't care about the people in his own company that's my opinion so here's a little bit from that one from kotaku which is written by luke plunkett while it's normal for prominent business people to donate to both sides of the political aisle so that whoever wins an election, they can call in some favors. As the Republican Party lurches further to the right, some of the candidates being supported are deserving a bit more scrutiny than usual. As Axios reports, the race for a U.S. House seat in California's 27th district, part of the city of Los Angeles, is expected to go down to the wire on Tuesday after the 2020 election saw Representative Mike Garcia win by just 333 votes. His rival this week, as it was in 2020, is Democrat Christy Smith. And to help the incumbent over the line, three wealthy donors have handed Garcia $50,000. One of those three donors is Activision CEO Bobby Kotek, who runs a company that has employed a Bush-era torture apologist, that was Fran, and a Trump administration bully, can't remember who that was, but I think he's still there. Uh, Quote, no other gaming executive has made a campaign contribution close to that size this cycle, the Axios report clarifies, in case you were wondering about the scale and context of that donation. While $50,000 is the legal limit for donations from an individual, Kotek has used workarounds to donate much larger sums to Republican candidates in the past. In March, a spokesperson for the Activision CEO said he has given almost the same amount to Democrats and Republicans over the the past five years. Which, again, if he had all that money, perhaps, maybe he should be, you know, giving raises to the people that are trying to unionize instead of shutting them out of that. But, you know, he is who he is. There's a bit more in here talking about the candidate that he uh, sent money to. And I'm looking for the update. 
uh, in here to see, you know, what's what's what with this. Um, update asked for comment and Activision representative tells Kotaku the following. And these representatives from Activision apparently don't have names of their own because it's never given. I don't know who sent this, but someone did. And this is what they sent to Kotaku. Mr. Kotek's contributions are focused on candidates and causes primarily in support of veterans' issues and specifically veterans' employment. Mike Garcia is a decorated Navy pilot and a strong friend of veterans' issues who has most recently introduced the Bipartisan Military Spouse Licensing Relief Act of 2021. Mr. Kotek's giving and that of the Call of Duty Foundation, which he co-chairs, is made to further the goal of ensuring all veterans have employment opportunities opportunities that reflect the sacrifices that they make through their service. Mr. Kotek has, over the past five years, contributed roughly the same amount to Democrats and Republicans. But, you know, if he had that money, he could be doing the right thing with his own people. But he doesn't, because he's Bobby Kotek. Another weird thing that happened that Kotaku wrote about, also written about by Luke Plunkett, is this. Here's the title. Dystopian Candy Crush drone fleet unleashed into skies above New York. The night sky was one of the last places we could look to without being sold something. And there is a photo here from someone named Brian Better, and it's from Getty Images. And there is quite literally a crowd out here holding up their phones as the Candy Crush logo floats around in the sky in New York. Which is weird. Dystopian's a good word for it. It's really, really strange. So here's the article. Late last week, 500 drones were dispatched into the air above New York City, lighting up the Manhattan skyline on Thursday night so the world could see a Candy Crush advertisement. The stunt was staged for the game's 10th anniversary and saw the drones deployed to create a series of images, hashtags, and slogans from the game, ranging from a depiction of Candy Crush's play button to just a huge aerial version of the game's logo, floating ominously over downtown like a bonus level from Space Invaders. Here is some company footage of the event, showing dozens of people smiling and applauding at the proceedings. It's actually a video that's embedded. It's a YouTube video embedded into this Kotaku article. Everything I talk about on the show will be in the show notes at ShatteredSoulStone.com so you can look it up if you want to see more or read more about it. As Business Insider reported, though, the demonstration was not without its critics. They interviewed a number of specialists, like researcher Fabio Falci, who said, These sort of things should be stopped by laws if the reason is lacking, as it seems, as it seems before it is too late. Now, for the advantage of a corporation, the real stars will be replaced by these ultra-bright lights of drones. Astronomers also pointed out that while a single event like this wasn't a huge scientific concern, were they to become regular occurrences, which they're fast becoming in some places around the world, then they'll quickly become a huge source of light pollution, something that doesn't just rob humans of a view of of the stars and our sleep, but also has serious ramifications for animal life because it can interrupt bird migration and affect insect populations. There's another little paragraph in here, and then there's an update. While the drones were best viewed from Lower Manhattan in a legal technicality, they were actually launched from New Jersey because New York City itself has strict laws against their use. And as this Gothamist story that's linked to, Manhattan Senator Brad Holloman joined the voices speaking out against it last week when he said, I think it's outrageous to be spoiling our city's skyline for private profit. It's offensive to New Yorkers, to our local laws, to public safety, and to wildlife. 
Moving on, there is um, kind of an interesting article here about tabletop games. It's from Polygon, and it was written by Noelle Carpenter. The title of this one is Tabletop, Card Game Retailers Join the Game Industry's Burgeoning Union Push. In Wisconsin and Washington, tabletop workers are unionizing. So that's a little bit different from the game companies that I've been talking about on the show. Activision Blizzard, you know, of course, being one of them. So it's kind of branching out further. And this is what I was hoping would happen with unionization, that if you've got one group that fits, like, in this case, gaming companies, and you are someone who does something with gaming, then you could possibly unionize as as well to have you know a better work experience i guess is a good way to put it so here's a little bit from this article the push to unionize workers in the games industry mirrors the momentum of the modern labor movement as a whole the number of union election petitions is up in 2022 with more workers filing with the National Labor Relations Board to organize their workplaces. And it's not just making headlines. The data supports the surge, too. Between October 2021 and September this year, 2,510 petitions were filed for union representation, according to the NLRB, representing a 53% increase from last fiscal year. And the moment isn't just about digital shops. The urge to unionize is spilling over into the tabletop industry as well. Cards Against Humanity workers at the studio of the same name won the right to form a union in 2020, and workers at Pathfinder uh, publisher Paizo followed soon after. The tabletop and card game industry is expanding into retailers and warehouses at companies like Card Kingdom, Mox Boarding House, and Noble Knight Games. Knight is with a K. Quote, the gaming industry is kind of a dangerous industry in that it's work of passion, Devin Zubertovich, Noble Knight Games digital media specialist, told Polygon, We do it because we love it, and it's that perfect storm for any employer who wants to take advantage of their workforce. A second Noble Knight Games employee who asked to speak anonymously continued, The tabletop industry is exciting and it's fun. I think employers count on that when they offer us wages that aren't in line with the responsibilities that we're being asked to have. We love our company. We love the industry. That's why we're here. We just think that our expertise and our talent deserves better wages, better benefits, and a better working environment. Workers at Noble Knight Games, an online board and tabletop game retailer located in Wisconsin, are the latest to file for a union vote with the NLRB. In addition to better pay and environment, workers told Polygon that sick days aren't a thing at Noble Knight. It'd be nice to get some of those, Zabervitage said. Our PTO is already pretty scant. The group called uh, the group called Noble Knight Games United filed its petition on October 31st after quote years of prep work looking to cover an estimated 70 employees who support a physical and online retail store offices and warehouse. Zaburf Tavaj said talk of a union has been ongoing for years but communications workers of America got involved in May. CWA, for its part, has been a major driving force at video game union shops and has been pushing into tabletop and card gaming too, unifying digital and tabletop gaming in the shared labor struggle. Noble Knight leadership denied the union's request for voluntary recognition despite its 70% support among workers. In the days since that request, Noble Knight has hired a union avoidance law firm called National Labor Relations Advocates. The lawyer hired lists his... The lawyer hired lists his services as helping companies, quote, besieged by union threats and harassment, stand up and fight back. 
On its blog, the firm provides tips to maintain control of businesses, referring to unionization as an attack. Another blog post considers whether union organizing or COVID-19 is the bigger threat to companies, calling COVID-19 a, quote, temporary pain, end quote, while union organizing is a long-term pain. So whoever this guy is, don't listen to him. It sounds to me like this man just wants to get rich off of companies that want to desperately, desperately avoid doing the right thing for their workers. So whoever this guy is, screw him. He's not right. He's not following the way of the world. He's not uh, apparently aware of how many unions there are out there and have been since really early on in the United States. Oh, whatever. I don't know why they even mentioned him other than to say that he's doing it wrong, in my opinion. Card Kingdom, that's another one. They have a group of more than 100 employees spanning a variety of warehouse and grading roles. They filed their petition in May with the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, Local 3000. They won their union election in July. Card Kingdom, based in Washington State, focuses mainly on Magic the Gathering cards, a collectible that increased dramatically in value during the early years of the COVID-19 pandemic. In its petition, Card Kingdom workers said revenue hit a peak over the last two years without a bump in wages or benefits on top of stressful workplace conditions, a lack of safety regulations, and causes of repetitive strain injuries. Workers were also frustrated at big changes made without the input of the people most impacted, like adjusted benefits. And there's a a little quote in here from someone that had Well, I'll just read it. Card Kingdom moved to drop COVID protections to changing our insurance without warning or reaching out to us for input about any of these sweeping changes that could affect our lives and safety, Card Kingdom production associate Raven Fletcher told Polygon. Prior to starting at Card Kingdom, I was on a wait list working towards gender-affirming care. I was excited to find Card Kingdom's insurance was the same as what I had prior and I would not have to alter my plans. Right after I was able to get the health insurance, Card Kingdom changed our provider. This I was assured should not set me back. Things would be fine. Nearly a year later, I am working to make up for lost ground after this switch. My story echoes those of other co-workers. In June, retail and service workers at Card Kingdom's retail store and restaurant, Mox Boarding House in Bellevue, Washington, filed a petition to cover nearly 40 employees, also with CWA. In this petition, workers allege that the company has poor retention of staff due to low pay and unfair management practices. They're looking for representation to, quote, protect both ourselves and those who come after us. Workers wrote, like Card Kingdom workers, the Bellevue Mox organized workers won their union vote this year. And it goes on from there a little bit. So there's there's a lot. I mean, it's actually like working in some cases, but I personally, and this is my personal thought on this, if you are someone who is actively trying to encourage large companies that make billions of dollars to uh, suppress the union effort, you're a terrible human and should find, you know, go do some soul searching and find something you can do that actually helps people instead. Because this is not helpful at all. And it's never going to change if people like that keep coming in and influencing terrible people at large companies to keep doing terrible things to their employees. End of rant. There's a thing here from Hearthstone. I have played Hearthstone a little bit. After a while, some of the animation on the cards kind of makes me nauseous because it's like a shaky cam thing. I get that with movies too. So I don't play it very often, but they did do something good recently. And there's a post here on the Hearthstone forums from Gnome Saiyan, a community manager. It's got a little gnome as an icon there. <laughs> little pigtails. It's called Addressing Hearthstone Accessibility. 
So, uh, no Masayan wrote, Hello all, some of you might be familiar with Hearthstone Access, a wonderful third-party accessibility mod that's been a great way for blind and low-vision players to play Hearthstone. We've been in constant communication with Guide Dev, its developer, and have implemented measures to make development of the mod easier. We're big fans of their work. We've also been working on improvements to Hearthstone's native accessibility with the aim of complementing the functionality that Hearthstone access provided. For example, the combination of Hearthstone's music, sound effects, character dialogue, and tavern ambience, the voice murmurs in the background, can conflict with the audibility of screen reading software trying to convey the state of the game. We know there may be a number of reasons why a player might want to adjust these different channels independently, whether that's needing to focus on particular noises, finding certain sounds distracting, or simply preferring a different audio balance than what is default. In a patch after March of the Lich King launches, we're adding expanded audio set settings to support separate volume controls for each of these, along with an option for mono sound. With Hearthstone access mod support ending, we made the decision to shift our work in this area. Instead of working on accessibility features that complement Hearthstone access, we'll be exploring what it will take to implement native accessibility features that allow for our blind and low vision community to get back into the game. We're incredibly appreciative of everything that GuideDev has done for our community, and we're very excited to continue expanding our game's accessibility. And it goes on from there. And I think this is a really good thing, because I'm not sure how you would play Hearthstone if you were blind enough where you cannot really see what the cards are, or if you're you know, visually impaired and you can kind of see it, but maybe not fully, you know, um, that kind of thing. And I guess the... The music and the noise could be annoying to a number of people, whether or not they can see. I tend to play without listening to any of that when I play, which is not often. But it's good that they're doing something for people so that a whole group of people that previously would have had difficulty playing Hearthstone can still access the game or will be able to access the game in a better way soon after the other whatever it is that's updating. Carbot Animations is still making fun stuff. This is part of their Diab LOL, Diab LOL. Uh, and this is How to Paladin. And so there's a paladin that's like trying out all these different hammers and stuff. It's pretty funny, as all of them are. There's a thing from Blizzard on official, uh, officialbattle.net forum that says account hacked. It was posted about a day ago. And it says, if you think your Battle.net account has been hacked... Follow the steps below to regain access to your account and prevent future compromises. One, secure your computer to avoid being hacked again after you've regained access. Once you've secured your computer, submit a ticket to recover your account. While customer service reviews your case and restores access to your account, review the following common methods ha hackers use to steal your account. After reviewing your case, customer support will ask you to add a Battle.net authenticator. The Battle.net authenticator is the best security feature to keep your Battle.net account safe from hackers. And I'm not sure exactly what they... They said... Uh, Review the common methods, and I'm not really sure, like, what do we have down here? Malicious websites, you can click on this. Reusing usernames and passwords, malicious websites, malicious add-ons, phishing, gold sellers, and leveling services, and account sharing. That's in there. I'm not sure where they expected me to click on that, but there we are. So if you have a problem and your account is hacked, this is where you go to, to find how to fix it. 
In Diablo Immortal news, which came out a little while ago, the Fire Before Darkness limited time event is going on. It started on November 9th, and today's the 11th, so you could jump in there probably pretty quick and catch up. And it's going to run through November 23rd at 2.59 a.m. server time. Uh, as you complete daily Fire Before Darkness tasks, you'll receive various rewards for your heroics. Um, so that sounds like fun. It's one of those, like, you know, time-sensitive. You have this amount of time to do the thing, and if you don't finish it, oh well. But if you finish some of it, you get something out of it. In any case, there's also some cosmetics going around. Uh, it's the Unspeakable Depths cosmetic set. And the set is... The Unspeakable Depths standard cosmetic set is available in the in-game shop for 1,000 Eternal Orbs. <laughs> Yep, there's some bug fixes, there's some feature updates, um, stuff with legendary gems and stuff, uh, that kind of thing. So that's um, that's a thing if you wanna if you're playing Diablo Immortal. I'll, I haven't had time to jump back in there because I've been busy with other stuff, and then I got sick, which is the story of my life. But I'll get there eventually. And then we have a lot of stuff about Diablo Four. So Windows Central wrote, report Diablo 4 could be launching in April 2023 with pre-orders going live December. Written by Jez Corden. At the top of this, it says, from the seventh circle of rumor mill hell, which kind of tells you that maybe this is true, maybe it's not, who knows. So here's a little uh, bit about what you need to know. And we all, we all kind of know some of this stuff. A rumor over the summer suggested that Diablo 4 may be getting revealed at the Games Award in Awards in December, and we now have some tentative cooperation. Reported on the Xbox Era podcast and corroborated with our own sources, it seems Diablo 4 could be targeting an April 2023 launch window. The game should go live for pre-order during the Game Awards 2022, if the rumors are correct. Alongside various digital editions and a premium, premium collector's edition, with some rather fiery goodies. Um, and then there's a little bit of description here about uh, Diablo 4. If you're listening to the sound of my voice, you probably already know what it is, but I'll read you a little bit that they wrote in here. Diablo 4 is the latest installment in Blizzard's legendary action RPG franchise. Set in the gothic world of Sanctuary, players are caught in the crossfire between the forces of heaven and hell, whose eternal war threatens the world of the living. Diablo 4 promises to return to the franchise's hardcore dark roots, taking on feedback from Diablo 3's oft-criticized cartoony appearance. Diablo 4 looks bloody as hell and bloody awesome too, and it could be launching a little sooner than perhaps some had expected. As discussed on today's Xbox Era podcast, the team there revealed the possibility of Diablo 4 launching in April 2023. We can also tentatively corroborate the April 2023 launch window via our own proven sources alongside other alongside other reveals there's a couple of videos in here from i'm not sure what exactly and uh yeah it's talking about the game awards it should be revealed then i guess diablo 4 should be uh starting at the game awards 2022 when this game's april launch window should be revealed additionally pre-orders should open too during the show including various digital editions and a premium physical collector's edition with various goodies for hardcore fans 
If our information is correct, Windows Central says, one of the pre-order benefits will be early access to Diablo 4's open beta in February of 2023. Although there was likely little doubt about this, we can confirm that Blizzard is planning a season-based live service for Diablo 4 supported by microtransactions, as the company has previously discussed on its official blog. According to our information, Season 1 is tentatively scheduled for Quarter 3, despite the game launching in April. Microsoft is currently working to acquire Activision Blizzard, and we know all of that, and that's pretty much all you need from here, but basically the key points here are Diablo 4 might be ready to launch soon-ish, and that it's going to be tied into the Game Awards 2022, and yeah, there it is. Forbes also wrote about this, uh, Paul Tassi, senior contributor who writes about video games and stuff. There's this called Report Diablo 4's release date is shockingly close. And let's see if they have anything new in here. It's mentioning Overwatch 2 and all of that. Uh, today, new reports are circulating that Diablo 4 is a lot closer than anyone might have thought. References the Windows Central thing that I just read to you. I'm going to move ahead a little bit to things that weren't in the first one. So Forbes writes, It is genuinely a little hard to believe that Diablo 4 could be just six months away. We have seen little footage from the game, relatively speaking, though we have gotten massive extensive blog posts about its various systems, most recently some information about it being a live service and how it was not at all going to be selling power like its demented sibling mobile game Diablo Immortal. Interesting sentence structure there. It has been extremely easy to be skeptical of Blizzard given the turmoil within that company, which involved the abuse of workers and a ton of high-profile departures, including the original director of Diablo 4 itself. And yet I cannot dispute that absolutely everything I have seen and heard about Diablo 4 has looked fantastic and exactly what I've been hoping to see from the game. We do not seem to be marching into something that is a clearly terrible idea like the auction house and barring any sort of Error 37 launch technical problems, I have trouble seeing how this is not going to be a massive smash hit at the time at a time when Blizzard badly needs one. That's a really good sentence structure there. This person obviously played when Diablo 3 launched because they're mentioning Error 37, which we all sat through. I honestly have a demon hunter named uh, 37 because of it, just for how long it took to get in. And I still have that one. The writer here says, I do have a little trouble believing an April 2023 date will stick. This is a triple A game production. You almost assume whatever the first announced date for a game, no matter how confident the developer seems in it, will almost certainly be delayed at least once. Let's call this the Starfield rule. And in Diablo's case, it has extra Blizzard drama attached, including the loss of its lead during the course of production. So no, I would not be shocked if Diablo 4 was pushed into summer or I suppose a month from now when it's officially announced maybe these current april plans could even change of course all of this is taking place within a backdrop of microsoft looking to acquire activision blizzard for nearly 70 billion dollars and we know about that so it goes on from there there's also one from games radar and they have written diablo 4 endgame is designed to offer quote thousands of hours end quote of gameplay written by oliver oliver haslam uh, about a week ago 
Diablo 4 players can look forward to a game that just keeps on giving, with the game's general manager Rod Ferguson saying there will be, quote, thousands of hours, end quote, of fun to be had. Ferguson was talking about the beta process and the testing that his team has been putting the game through before getting it into the hands of eager gamers. One focus that the team has tried to maintain is to ensure that Diablo 4 isn't a game that comes to an end once the end game is reached. Instead, Ferguson says it's all about making sure there's more to do, much, much more. Quote, you have to have a kick-ass campaign, and it has to have great context and a great story, and you have to know why the world is the way it is and set it all up, he said recently. After players complete the campaign, you're unleashing them into a game that hopefully will entertain them for thousands of hours. To that end, Ferguson wants gamers to get to the end of Diablo 4 and treat it not as a time to put the controller down, but as the start of something new. Quote, in the past, we haven't had that opportunity for people to go in and say, this is the starting point. This certainly, this is certainly not the end, Ferguson points out. He goes on to say he wants the game to feel rich, adding that the end should be the point where the live service begins and that another period of play starts. Elsewhere in the interview, Ferguson discusses the process of making that end game, a process he likens to making a good soup. There's a little bit more in that article, but that's kind of the main idea. If you're super interested in Diablo 4 and you want a job with Activision Blizzard, or maybe specifically Blizzard, there's a bunch of them still. There's like for test analysts, test leads, environment outsource supervisor, senior concept artist, it goes on and on and on. And this is all for Diablo 4. That's just the first page. So if that's a, if you are someone who has those sort of skills and you're looking to maybe make your mark within Diablo 4, you might want to check that out. IGN has a couple of videos, one of which has been posted directly into Twitter, and it has to do with, it looks like it's uh, Diablo 4's game director Joe Shelley and Diablo GM Rod Ferguson tell us about how ascending Diablo 4's world tiers or difficulty levels opens up new gameplay, new gear, and fearsome boss encounters. That's embedded in a tweet, and it's about seven and a half minutes long so you can look at that on twitter and i'll link to it for you it is kind of interesting to think about that diablo 4 might be here that soon if you play on a pc you probably will have no problems accessing this um i'm on a mac so that's not gonna work and i'm gonna have to learn like i'm assuming it's gonna come to xbox but i don't really know for sure i know diablo 3 went to xbox i think um so we'll just see what happens if it turns out I can't access the game in any way, I'm going to be kind of mad. So <laughs> we'll just see. But in general, I never assume that speculation about when a really important and exciting game is going to come out will in fact turn out to be exactly when it comes out. So take that, you know, when you consider about, you know, how long it's going to be before you actually get to play Diablo 4. I, th I feel like this game has got to be heading in a good direction it seems like they've got some really talented people working on it, and I'm hoping all of that goes well, but I'm not going to, you know, get all my hopes up for April and assume if, you know, the game thing that was happening at the same time, like, that's going to instantly mean we can all download the game or whatever. Um, just 
you know, just kind of think ahead on that. It's easy to get hyped up and to then have your hopes and dreams shot down when they postpone the date it's going to launch. And that's how I'm going to end this show. You have been listening to episode 385 of the Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo community podcast. Missed an episode? You can find the show blog and listen to the show archives at www.shatteredsoulstone.com. Come join us in-game. Our in-game community and clan, both named Shattered Soulstone, are open to anyone who would like to join. You can also join us on Discord for the ultimate team and community-based experience. Find the Discord invitation link on our Twitter and Facebook page, as well as the Shattered Soulstone website. Thank you for listening. <laughs>